On a nice day, the water's nice, eh? Do you like the water on a nice day? I love the water on a nice day. Sparkling, shining, clean water where you can see the bottom. So I love Lake Taupo. It's probably my favourite bit of water in the world. And um, when you, you know, you get in the right spot, you can look down. It can be 30 feet deep, but it looks like it's six feet deep just because it's clear and sparkling. And when the sun's out and it's a nice day and there's no wind, what better than water? Whether it's running around the backyard in a sprinkler, because that's quite fun when you're little, probably more than when you're bigger, but when you're little. Um, going for a swim, I have noticed, because I was a bit of a water baby, but I have noticed that as I get older, I tend to stand on the edge for longer before I commit myself to the cold. And... Um, but the, it's just so spectacular, the water. You can swim, you can sail, you can boat, you can dive, you can water ski, you can, you can do whatever you want. And the water is just amazing. You can even drink it if it's clean enough. It's amazing. But how many of you know that when a storm comes in, the water can be terrifying? You know, it can change like that, can't it? It can go from this absolutely wonderful place. I quite like watching those... YouTube storms, you know, where it was nice and then you see these massive ships pounding through the waves and water's everywhere. But the water's like that. It can go from being the place you want to be to the place that you do not want to be because it's absolutely terrifying. A few years ago, Jan and I were um, holidaying on a boat in Taupo and we'd had a great time. We were having a great time. We were there with family and it was great. And we went all around and it was beautiful, it was calm, it was just fantastic. So we went right across the western bays of Lake Taupo and we moored up in this lovely bay um, for the night in there and it was just stunning. It was an amazing place, except I do remember waking up in the morning now as I'm talking about it and I remember the bottom of the boat going bang, 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 bang on the bottom because the waves started to come up. Anyway, just move it out a bit, it's all good. And um, we're there, we had a lovely time. We wake up the next morning and weather's not so flash. In fact, weather's not good at all. Grey skies, black skies, rain, wind's starting to come up. We're sheltered in the bay, but the swell is in the bay. And I'm going, well, that's not ideal. But anyway, we need to go to Taupo. Taupo's about probably a 40-minute cruise to Taupo from where we, where we are. So we pack everything up, we get ready, we go to Taupo. You go out of the bay, we're out in the sea, we're out in the ocean now. And if you know anything about like Taupo, we're in the ocean on a lake. If, <laughs> that doesn't make sense, but you know what I mean. We're out in the middle. If you know anything about Lake Taupo, it can get really, really rough, really, really fast. And uh, so the storm rolls in and this is the storm is tremendous. It is pouring with rain. It is blowing with wind. The waves are starting to look like mountains. Um, we're in a good sized boat, but even in our boat, they're looking like mountains. And the family, as they always are, are perfectly calm in this kind of conditions. And they're like, we're going to drown, we're going to die, we're never going to make it. How dare you bring us out here and all that kind of stuff. They're quite a dramatic family, really. And, and, and I'm just like, it'll be okay, it'll be all right. It's everyone got a life jacket on, probably should have. And... Um, and we, we're cruising toward Taupo. The only thing is, can't see anything. Not a thing. Grey, 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 grey. The, the waves on the lake are very tall and sharp. So 
every now and then the back of the boat kicks up and it like dives through the next one, water's everywhere over top and that. For a captain of a boat, it's like, bring it on, baby, this is awesome. For passengers in the boat, in the boat they're just like, beam me up now, please. Because it's terrifying. Anyway, we made it. The only reason we made it was because we had a GPS, we just follow that dot. Just keep following the dot. Doesn't matter what else, just keep following the dot. And, and eventually we got to Taupo, what should have taken 40 minutes, probably took two and a half, three hours. But we got there. We got there. And we didn't die. But I've called my message this morning, we're going to die. We're going to die. And I don't want to be morbid. And I don't want to kind of lead you down a path you've never thought of before. But you are going to die. You are. Just look at the person next door. Just say it nicely. Kind of, you know, don't instill fear or anything. Just, you know, you are going to die. Here's the deal. We're going to die. We just don't know when, where or how. My prayer is that it doesn't hurt. That's my prayer. The thought of transitioning through to eternity, I'm all good with that. But I just do not want it to hurt getting there. That would be preferable. But it's not when. It is, I mean, it's not if. It's when, eh? It is when. It is going to happen. Now, I don't think for a moment that on this particular day, the disciples knew the answers to those questions. When, where, how. But they did know that they didn't want to die now. They didn't want to die on the water and they didn't want to drown. How do I know that? The Bible tells me. That's how I know that. Go to Luke chapter 8, verse 22. It says, one day, Jesus said to His disciples, let's cross the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and they started out. As they sailed across, Jesus settled down for a nap. But soon, a fierce storm came down on the lake. Other translations say, but suddenly, a fierce storm came down on the lake. The boat was filling with water and they were in real danger. The disciples went and woke up, uh, woke him up, shouting, Master, Master, we're going down. When Jesus woke up, He rebuked the wind and the raging waves. Suddenly, the storm stopped and all was calm. Then He asked them, Where is your faith? Where is your faith? faith. The disciples were terrified and amazed. Who is this man? They asked each other. When he gives a command, even the wind and the waves obey him. The disciples were absolutely freaking out. They had no intentions of dying that day, but they thought they were going to. And they have spent all this time with Jesus thinking they understand who He is and then all of a sudden, within a moment of time, they are left there going, who on earth is this guy? Who on earth is this guy? I've got a, um, an agenda this morning with you, uh, which you should be happy with. Because if I didn't, I'd be just talking about nothing. Here's my agenda. In the West, we tend to live out here a bit. Jesus is my Saviour. Jesus is my friend. 
Jesus is the one who walks beside me. He's the one that talks to me. He's the one I know. Buddy, buddy, Jesus. Yeah? Yeah, probably blonde-haired, white American surfer with blue eyes. Jesus. <laughs> so, forget the last bit. Um, but that's, that's kind of where we sit. There's another side of Jesus, and it's here. It's like, who the heck is this man? Who is this guy that we thought we knew, but has suddenly just told the wind and the waves and everything else to behave themselves, and they've obeyed him? There's this side. In the West, we, we tend to sit over here, but to our detriment, we forget about here. And so my agenda today is very clear. No matter where you are here, I just want to move or I want to allow God, He'll do it, not me, to shift. This is what I think God's agenda is today, just to shift the pendulum a little bit. The problem is, when you go this way, our natural response tends to be, okay, I've got to have rules, I've got to have regulations, and it can get legalistic. But that's not what this is about. This is about acknowledging the Lordship of Jesus. It's not about being legalistic. It's not about, because he, he, Jesus is nicer than you and I think He is. Absolutely. Much, much nicer. And so moving from here to here is about balancing. It's not about, I've got to live in a box. Anyway, that's my agenda. I think I just preached my sermon telling you what the agenda was. Who is this man? I need three volunteers. Three. Come on, come on. It's not going to be too bad. Thank you, Grant. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Fantastic. Are you coming to Andy? Yeah. A wedding? Babies? Come on, mate. Baby soon. Coming soon. Oh, did I hear? I thought I already arrived. Sorry, I'm slightly early. Congratulations. Awesome. Fantastic. Okay, so I've got three volunteers. I know you thought Jan was going to jump out of this. Hey, it's got animals. Couldn't find any fish. <laughs> it's got lizards in the bottom. I never had that before. You guys are the storm, okay? Who wants to be the rain? You, you can be the rain. Great. Who's the waves? You're the waves. Okay. Yeah, you're going to make waves. Now you need to be a bit, bit gentle because. At the 9am, we sunk Jesus. <laughs> and that kind of wrecks the point of my message. Okay. <laughs> so there's a storm. You've got to put yourself in the story, okay? Because I can just read it like that and you go, wow, that was cool. But put yourself in the story for a moment. The disciples are in the boat with Jesus. Not necessarily a red boat, but they're in the boat with Jesus. And suddenly, Andy's the wind. And suddenly, now, although I've got to give you instructions. When I say stop, stop. <laughs> That's the instructions. Okay, so suddenly a storm comes. So we've got rain, we've got wind, and we've got waves. Yeah, you can have bigger waves than that. Come on. That's it. Yeah, it's fierce storm. There's water coming in the boat. They're absolutely panicking. The boat, oh, hang on, hang on. We're sinking Jesus again. Just say. And they're absolutely terrified. Yeah, yeah, keep Jesus dry. They're absolutely terrified. 
that the boat is going to go down. Ready? Stop. Now, besides the fact that Jesus is sinking again, can you notice something else that's happening? Thank you, gentlemen. You can. The water, they were good, weren't they? They were, they were a good storm. They were a great storm. That's a tiny little container, but did you see how long it took for the water to stop? It's still moving. But the Bible says Jesus rebuked the wind and the waves and then Im- immediately it was calm. Now, if you've ever been on a lake, that's impossible. To me, that's even a greater miracle than the wind and the rain stopping, was that suddenly the water is flat. And the disciples' response to that is, oh my goodness, who is this man? That's the question we've got to answer. That's the question each one of us. That's actually the question of life. Who is this man? Who is this man? And if we can answer that question, then we've probably got a whole lot of things sorted. I made some observations. Galilee is is much, much bigger than the aquarium, obviously. It's like 21 kilometres long, 13 kilometres wide. And as I said, the water behaves differently. There is no way that these uh, waves that were sinking the boat, because in 1986, they dug up a boat from Jesus' time. The boat's 27 and a half feet long. It's about nine and a half feet wide, four and a half feet deep uh, with a raised stern on it. So Jesus would have been sleeping under the stern, no doubt. Um, And it it could comfortably carry 15 people. So that's actually quite big waves to threaten sinking this boat. He's not out there in his 10-foot Parker Craft alloy boat. This is a significant boat. So they're really, really big waves. Really big waves. And for the water to immediately go calm is impossible. Cannot happen. Just can't. So this is like... On every level, this is a mind-blowing miracle. This is a a mind-blowing expression of authority that the disciples are just left sitting there going, we thought we knew Him, but what? So my question is in our lives, we thought we knew Him, but what? What don't we know that we don't know about Jesus? Incredible. The storm was fierce. Another observation. Not uncommon for that lake. Apparently the wind not been there, but the wind comes down through the mountains and can really throw up a nasty storm. Where was Jesus? He was asleep in the back of the boat. The water was very rough. The boat was filling with water. They were in danger for their lives. So, so these aren't novices. They're not like, oh, you know, they're obviously, it's coming in faster than they can bail out. They're in danger for their lives. They're going down, freaking out totally. Where's Jesus? He's asleep. Our crew, they are seasoned sailors. They're not, this isn't their first journey in a boat. They've done this all their lives. They can handle the sea. They know what the sea, they know how to read the weather. They know how to handle the sea. They know how to handle a boat. They know to get from A to B and all those kind of things. They're seasoned, yet this is beyond what they can cope with. And they're right out of their depth. Don't, you ever find life's a little bit like that sometimes? All of a sudden a storm comes and you go, oh my goodness, 
Where did this come from, number one? Number two, I'm right out of my depths. I'm going to drown. Where are you, Jesus? Sleeping in the boat. And then things escalate very, very quickly to the point where they're crying out, save us, save us, we're going down, we're going to sink, we're going down. And where's Jesus? No, he's not asleep anymore. Trick question that one was. He's awake now because they woke him up. They're saying, save us, save us, we're going down. This boat is going down. And then what's Jesus do? He rebukes the wind and the waves. He, he just says to the waves and the wind, stop, silence. They end. And they obey Him. See, this was new for the disciples. The disciples had seen Him rebuke disease and disease left. They'd seen Him rebuke uh, demons and demons left. But they had never seen Him rebuke or take control over the weather. That's kind of like, you know, we just walk outside now and he says, and the sun moves and the clouds move. And it's like, this is crazy, another level of authority. Suddenly the storm, storm stops, the water's calm. It's just a phenomenal miracle. And then Jesus talks and he says to them, Where's your faith? I wonder if he says that to us sometimes in life too. Hey. We were tracking so well. Where's your faith gone? Where's your faith gone? But he says to them, where's your faith? Or in the Gospel of Matthew, it says, why are you afraid? You have so little faith. The Gospel of Mark says, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And then it goes on and it says, the disciples were terrified and amazed. That is a real mixed emotion right there, isn't it? You're terrified and you're amazed all at the same time. Terrified and amazed. And they say, who is this man? Even the wind, the water, obey him. This is like new, totally new level. We, we thought you were here, but man, we've just underestimated you. Like, come on. You're someone completely different than we realise. You carry an authority that is completely different than what we thought or realised. This is the same Jesus that we know. It's the same Jesus that we walk with. It's the same Jesus that we love. The same Jesus that we talk to. So I called the message today, we're going to die. And ironically, it's answering the question that the disciples asked is what gives us life. Who is this man? Who is this man? C.S. Lewis, its famous quote from Mere Christianity said, I'm trying to prevent anyone saying the real foolish thing that people often say about him, Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as the great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. Who is Jesus? Well, we're really fortunate because the book of Luke tells us who Jesus is. It told us before this point who He was. So we can look earlier in Luke chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. In chapter 1 and verse 11, 
says, You are my dearly, this is the Father speaking, You are my dearly loved Son. In chapter 1, verse 24, it calls Jesus the Holy One of God. In chapter 3, verse 11, it says, You are the Son of God. The disciples knew Jesus well. They walked with Him. They lived with Him. They ate with Him. They did everything with Him. Yet when they were confronted with the reality of who He really, really is, they were terrified and amazed. Terrified and amazed. And I think sometimes we just settle into a place where we think we know. We think we understand. We have a concept. But if we really grasped who He is, we would be terrified and amazed. Can I maybe ask you it this way? When's the last time you were terrified and amazed in the presence of God? Because just like that, could happen. Who is this man? Well, he's both man and God. And that's one of our greatest challenges, isn't it? Is that, where's that balance? We tend to, in the West, as I said, we lean toward man. Yeah, he's, he's rabbi, teacher. Um, he was a good man. He was like a prophet. He did all these miracles and stuff. He is my saviour. He is my saviour. But we lean out this way. But what about the other side of the equation? He is God Almighty. He is eternal. He has always been, will always be creator of the universe. Because that's the other side of the tension. And like most good theology, you've got to hold the pressure, balance it in the middle somewhere. But I think as in the West, as church in the West, I think we, we have this pendulum out this way too far. The friendly. Oh, my mate, Jesus. That's why our opinion seems to be elevated to levels above the Word of God because He's my friend. My opinion matters, but no friend, our opinion doesn't matter because He's actually the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and what He says goes. But that's on this side of the equation, which isn't common or isn't popular in the West. So we actually just need to allow God to move the pendulum a little bit from out here to, maybe not all the way up here, but to make an adjustment because that's the challenge of faith. When um, Jan and I have been in Hamilton over 11 years now, and um, when we first came here, praying as you do, um, asking God, you know, what, what we're to do, where we're to go, direction church, all those kind of things, talking to people, learning about the church life of the church, because as if you've been around a little while, this church has an incredible heritage. And... Um, and what I learnt was, and this is neither right nor wrong, this is just comments to try and make a point. What I learnt was that the church here that we were coming into um, had high demands on people being involved in the life of the church and making the church work, the life of the church, and that's okay. And also that there seemed to be a feeling amongst business people that really they were valued for what they could bring rather than who they were. And I looked at that and I'm praying and I'm asking God for revelation and I really felt the Holy Spirit said, all you're to do is to value and validate people. It's not about what people can do 
or bring or anything else. It's simply about who people are. Value them and validate them. So I came and intentionally I moved the pendulum over here. We don't demand anything of anyone, really. We ask, but we don't demand anything of anybody. I've never asked a business person, probably to my own detriment, life could have been easier for money. Um, but we moved the, the pendulum over here, not because it was a good idea, but simply I really felt the Holy Spirit was saying it's about valuing and validating. Embrace people for who they are, the gifts that God's given them, all those kind of things, not for what they can bring to the table. So that's what we've done. I would continue to do that until God gives me something else to do. But what I've learnt is that you can take the pendulum from here and because of a perceived, and it is only perceived correction, you move it over here, but then you can hold it too long in another place. So I would say I've got opportunity right now to plant churches, to put leaders in churches, but I haven't got the leaders to put in those churches. Why is that? Probably because I've held it out here too long. So I've got to make some corrections, wind it in. It's part of the reason we're having Activate College next year alongside Vision College is we need some church leaders. So you, you bring it out, you bring it back. Uh, maybe we could have accelerated what God's doing if we had engaged uh, the gift that are on business people's lives and the, their ability to be able to generate kingdom funds. Maybe. I felt that wasn't what God was asking at the time, but maybe it's time to bring the... Not that business people are there just to give money, no, that's not what I'm saying, don't hear that please, but there is a gift on their life that God has given them to be able to generate funds which can be used for kingdom purposes, bring it back so this is but it's exactly the same pendulum, Jesus my mate, my rabbi, my friend or Lord of the universe Lord boss, Lord means boss Lord, and sometimes you just need to adjust the pendulum a bit and that's what I believe God's doing this morning. He's saying, hey, we're out this way a little bit, people. Let's just bring it back a bit. Let's just bring it back a bit. Don't swing it all the way over here. You look like you're dancing, dancing elephant. But just bring it back a bit, a bit of correction. Because I am Lord. I am boss. When you gave your life to Christ, when you received Him, we received Him as our Lord and our Saviour. In Romans chapter 10 it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Otherwise, Lord, Saviour. For it is by believing in your heart that you've been made right with God and it is by confessing with your mouth that you have been saved. As the Scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in Him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But it's Lord and Saviour. In other words, He is the King of the Kingdom, which makes Him the boss. He is Lord. When I surrender my life to Jesus, when I got baptised, I made Him Lord of my life, the boss of my life. And by making Him the Lord of my life, He becomes the Saviour of my life. But so often these days we're going toward the Saviour, but we're not making Him Lord. And then we wonder why things come unstuck. Or where's the power? Or why aren't we seeing God move? Well, it's because we, we've got friendly buddy Jesus who is valid 
And it does tell us in the Scripture that He is like our brother. He's like our friend. He, he walks with us. He talks with us. A great picture of Jesus on the road to Emmaus with the disciples. You know, He talked with them. Their hearts burnt, but He walked beside them and He talked with them and He unpacked stuff. That's a beautiful picture and it's completely valid, but we forget about this other side that says, hang on a minute. He's Lord. He's Creator of the universe. He's God. That means actually what He says goes. That means I can have a good idea, but my good idea is never validated above Scripture because He's put in place His Word. His Word is truth, capital T. My opinions don't actually count. It's His Word that counts. And if you look at Western society, we've elevated opinion well above the Word of God now and things are turning to custard. We need to other way around again. Lord, Lord of all. So we're going to die. We're going to die. Who is this man? Who is this man? Because when I say, He is my Lord and my Saviour, that statement in itself, because I've given my life to Him, because you've given your life to Him and made Him Lord, and He now saves you, that sets a trajectory for all eternity where you don't actually need to be stressed out about, I'm going to die. Because it's going to happen. It's inevitable. I don't want to think about it, neither do you. Some of us have got slightly closer there than we wanted in the last few weeks. (laughs) But it's a reality. This isn't like a, um, I don't like what's on that TV channel, I'll just change channels or do a rerun. This is a one-shot, one-shot thing that really counts. And we get to choose whether we do it God's way or our way. And this morning, I'm simply encouraging you bring the pendulum back a bit more to the authority of God. I'm not pointing the finger at any person. I'm pointing it at our culture. Bring it back to the authority of God, the kingdom of God, the Lord, the one. And this is where people get unstuck, as I said right at the start, is they think as soon as you start to move the pendulum this way, toward the authority and the lordship of God, they think, well, that means I can no longer have fun. That means I've got to have all these rules and regulations. That means I've got to do this and I've got to do that. No, no, no. The cross was not about that. That's why the cross happened. So that actually, the more you go here, the freer life gets. That's it's the truth. The freer life gets. You live as the authority of Jesus and you live out of the authority He gives you. Life gets freer and freer. What's Jesus think about? Lots of things. I don't think He, he, he matters too much about lots of things. He says, love people, love God. Love people, love God. It doesn't matter whether I do this or do that. I think he says, I don't care. You do, you've got a brain, you choose. Just love people, love God. Oh, well, how should I do that? Well, read the Bible, I'll tell you. Good thought. 